Here's our series on Aging in Portland. Retired or rewired? What it's like getting old in a youth-centered city. Are you up for that challenge? We'll bring you lots of views, but you'll have to answer this question for yourself. Is Portland a good place in which to grow old? This is the 20th and final episode in KBOO's series on what it's like to age in Portland. We call it Retired or Rewired. In this final episode, we have distilled the key ideas and information from all the previous shows and roughly 40 interviews that address many different aspects of life for the elderly residents of Portland. We try to answer the question, what does that term mean, elderly, And we pose an answer to the question that got us started. Is Portland a good place in which to get old? First, a few ideas that opened our eyes. People over 65 make up 12% of Portland's metro area population, and a significant portion of this population is over 85. Here's the city demographer, Uma Krishnan, giving some perspective. We have over 72,000 older adults in uh, our wonderful city, and they make up about 12% of the city's population. Big number and big share. No, we are younger than the metro area. We are younger than, much younger than Oregon, and um, and we are definitely younger than the the country as a whole. And by younger, what I mean is our share of older adults right. is smaller. Right. I know that women live longer than men in general. There are so many more women, is that right? There are 10,000 more 65 and older women than men. What's more interesting is of this 10,000, nearly 50% of this number, like not truly 50%, but 4,000 plus, that difference is because there are 4,000 plus more women who are 85 and older. And this kind of totally, um, it aligns with the fact that women have a longer life expectancy. By 2050, that's just 32 years away, one generation, the population aged 65 plus is expected to double. The population 85 plus is expected to triple. One of our guests pointed out the aging of the population is not a silver tsunami. It's not a wave of people that will pass. Here's Karen Brown Wilson, a Portland gerontologist, with a better metaphor. What I like to say is that people talk about a a silver tsunami. Well, we don't have a silver tsunami. We actually have a rising lake, Um, and it's never going to recede. Because if you look at the data, we will basically change from an age pyramid to an age triangle. We'll never be young again as a society. That, that, that's going to put a lot of stress on budgets, particularly the Medicaid budget. But why is age 65 so often taken as the elderly cutoff age? The fact is, the definition of old is changing. Here's Julie Miller of the MIT Age Lab talking about the idea of age as an arbitrary term. What we have learned at the Age Lab, if nothing else, is that the historical image of aging and quote-unquote oldness and quote-unquote older adulthood no longer matches 
with the 2018 version of what that means. As in, in the past, we might have been able to assign a number, let's say 65, let's say 70, let's say 85, to this image, this mental model of what it means to be quote unquote old. What we now know, however, is that people are living much longer, people are working much longer, and people have much more creative expectations of what the rest of their life after working is going to mean. And so we do think here at the Age Lab about quote unquote oldness as a social construct because truly the image of quote unquote oldness is one that is simply made up by society but actually means something very different for every single person you ask. Keep in mind that the largest share of this growth of elderly population is female. This isn't likely to change anytime soon. Does this mean that the health issues associated with aging can be seen to a large extent as a women's problem? Here's Dr. Allison Lindauer of OHSU's Leighton Institute. Dementia is a women's problem. Two-thirds of people with dementia are women, and two-thirds of the people that take care of those with dementia are women. So when a woman comes in, they'll typically come in with their mother, and they'll say things like, she used to be a really great cook, but now she can't quite make soup, or she can't even operate the microwave anymore, or she gets lost driving, and I'm worried about her. Nationally, there are 5.5 million cases of Alzheimer's. It's the fifth biggest cause of death. According to the CDC, it's a very costly disease with an annual price tag of $260 billion. Those are some of the big ideas that we discovered, but here are the most useful things we heard. Exercise is medicine, and more than one of our guests mentioned social dance as a way to stay young and keep your body and brain fit. Here's Mike Waters, a fitness expert and trainer. Exercise is medicine for adults. It's not really for athletic feats. Now, some people, like myself, uh, I'm a runner. Back in the 70s, it was to prevent heart, heart disease was the big one. And now, as we've done the research, it's, it's also preventing and even managing cancer. In fact, the quality of life as we extend it seems to hinge to some extent on our commitment to keep active and stay engaged. No surprise there, but we were surprised to hear of a local centenarian who regularly visits the Hollywood Center. Here's Amber Kearns Johnson, director. What's your client base like? Do you call them clients? Yeah, the, yeah, clients and participants. Very diverse. I mean, we have people in their 50s, and I'm getting close to that. You know, it won't be long. No. Um, all the way up to 100 and, and more. We have an individual that comes twice a week. He's 102, and he's doing Tai Chi. So we've got really a very diverse group of age and You, you mean there's a guy who comes here on yeah. his own steam? Yeah. And he lives all on his own? He does. He does. And he's 102. 102. He was um, doing dragon boat racing um, not too long ago, and oh, there's he a story is right a, there. he, it's a great story. He's a great individual, and really just um, showing that you know age is not a deterrent in your ability to continue to be active and engaged. So, are you getting the support you need from the community to do this? Do you feel like you're ready to step up to the 
next uh, growth and population? We're gonna we're gonna need a lot more um, a lot more help. I mean, this is when you're looking at the the increase in the aging population. I mean, we're gonna need. A, going to be something that will involve many different organizations and um, infrastructure to be able to really accommodate. I mean, we're a small nonprofit. Um, I feel like we're pretty much at capacity in what we're able to do. You may enjoy this thought. Exercise is good, but losing weight may not be a good strategy as you age, at least for some. Here's Dr. Mark Williams on one of what he calls the myths of aging. I read and enjoyed your book, and you have a section there on eight aging myths that you don't have to fall for. And there are a few I have fallen for, and I'd like to hear your reaction. Number, myth number sure. two, losing weight will extend your life. That's a myth? That's a big myth, yes. In fact, uh, dieting may be hazardous to your health, believe it or not. And there are a number of epidemiological studies that show that. It's probably, uh, and I'm not saying people need to go out and gain weight, but I think that when you look at the actuarial curves, probably the healthiest place to be is about 10 to 15 pounds overweight. And that's not to say that people have to gain weight if they're already trim and at their ideal body weight. But just looking at the data suggests that being slightly overweight is beneficial. And it's important not to severely diet because people who are losing weight end up having an increased mortality rate. While we're talking about health, we have to address the subject of caregiving. We learned that caregiving is a medical condition in itself. Caregivers themselves are at risk. Here are Ann Hill, author and lawyer and Dr. Marion Hodges, Doctor of Geriatrics at the Providence Center. Being a family caregiver for somebody who has dementia is a medical event in the life of the family caregiver. It increases their risk for vascular disease or heart disease and strokes, increases their risk for cancer, it increases their risk for serious infections. Uh, you often hear stories of the caregiver dying before the person with dementia passes away. Uh, because of not taking adequate care of themselves and becoming sick. Caregivers need a support system for themselves, and they need to know how to ask for help. Vicki Kind warns about caregivers paying attention to their own health. You know, we know that fa family caregivers, if they are long-term caregivers, they may die 8 to 10 years earlier because they're always worried about the other person and they're not watching out for their health. This four-step process, I developed it to make sure that people could both ask for and accept help. Here's some good news. Alzheimer's is, to some extent, preventable. For example, there's a connection between hearing loss and Alzheimer's. Here's Dr. Lindauer again. Did you tell me that 35% of what causes Alzheimer's can be controlled? Yes, yes. About 35% of what causes Alzheimer's we can help. So, for example, hearing loss contributes um, about 9% of the risk to Alzheimer's disease. So in our clinic, we make sure that people have their hearing tested. We wait, wait a minute. Is, is it because people get isolated because they can't hear? Or is there some correlation between hearing loss and the onset of Alzheimer's? We're not entirely sure. 
we do think that there's something about the isolation. And also, you know, if you can't hear something, you can't remember it. Uh, so it's taking stuff into the brain. The other theory is that when we have hearing loss, a lot of our brain space, so to speak, is focusing on what the person is saying. And so we're distracted. We know that people who use hearing aids, however, can reduce their risk of developing Alzheimer's. So getting your hearing checked is really important. So exercise and good sleep is also very important. People with sleep apnea have a higher risk of developing dementia. We really want to be able to treat those people early so we can protect their brains. And more good news. There are lots of things here in Portland that you can get for less if you are elderly. There's an exemption from the art tax, for example. And on transit, you can use the hop pass. And you can get into many theaters and similar places for a better price. You just need to do some homework to see these and other deals. But finances are an issue for most older folks who are on fixed incomes. For some, the reverse equity mortgage may be a useful tool. Here's housing finance expert Rachel Molaire. It's also known as reverse mortgage, but it's a home equity conversion mortgage. It is the only option in most situations. It's intensely regulated. It's not accessible to everyone. People still have to have a financial review because if they can't pay, if they don't have enough income one way or another to pay their taxes and insurance, they're not going to qualify for that loan either. Basically what it means is you have to be 62 years or older, and in that age bracket, you can access a certain percentage of the equity of your house. If you have a little mortgage on your house, a lot of people who used to have their houses paid off now have a little mortgage. Whatever amount is available to people, it's regulated, it's based on their age, it's based on the value of the house. They'll have that money available. The first thing it has to do is pay off any mortgage you have on the house, which then relieves you of those payments, and sometimes that's all people want. They just want out from under the payments. Otherwise, they have access to some cash. They can take it as a line of credit, which actually is a growth rate. They can take it as cash or they can take it as payments. But be careful. Get professional outside help before you enter this kind of deal. Ask family and friends to take a hard look. Here's Jazz Horner, a lawyer in Eugene, who has seen what can happen when these deals go bad. It is a, a tactic very well uh, established in the industry. You make the loan seem easy, and you mention only as much about the cost as the law requires you to. And you do it in the smallest print you possibly can at the bottom of the screen or in really fast words at the end of the radio ad. So, you know, whether uh, really regardless of whether it's a loan, a reverse mortgage, credit card, even insurance products, it's just important to be very shrewd because the folks who are selling these things know what they're doing. And their one goal is to make sure that they are uh, making as much money as possible off the credit offer. You can get a copy of a new Legal Issues for Older Adults, and it's free online, thanks to the Oregon Bar Association. You can obtain this free legal guide on the Bar Association website, www.osbar.org. The guide covers every subject you need to consider as you age, including family, financial, and medical issues. Keep in mind, the power of attorney tool can be dangerous, so be careful how you use it and take the time to get expert legal advice. To avoid scams, take control of your phone. Don't answer it. There's no need to be polite when most of those unsolicited calls are coming from telemarketers and fraudsters. Most people want to stay in their homes as they age for as long as possible. And Portland has a network that can help you take a big step in that direction. 
It's called the village movement, and it's a growing force in empowering people to take care of each other. Here's Lynn Trainer, one of the people who's made Portland a national leader in this movement. Ninety percent of people, according to an AARP study, really would prefer to age at home. And the resources aren't there, just like we don't have resources for schools and everything. So how are we going to do that? We're going to have to figure that out because if we wait for government to figure it out, there's going to be a whole lot of people in trouble. So our goal as a nonprofit organization is to fill that social need and develop this network of villages who are the go-to resource for people. And here's one more tool that you may need as you face important medical situations. It's called PULST, Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. Dr. Susan Toll and her team came up with this breakthrough, and it's having a national impact. Here's Dr. Toll putting her work into perspective. The PULST program is one component of many different things that have happened in Oregon. Extensive education, overcoming some systems problems that made it difficult to have wishes honored. There are many factors at work, but the net result is Oregonians who wish to stay near the end of life at home and die in their own bed are more likely to do so than in other states. There's lots more useful information if you listen to the entire series. We've boiled it down to some bullet points just to fit into this half-hour show. There are some important issues we wish we could have spent more time looking into, and these include elderly homelessness and issues that veterans face as they age and gender identity issues related to aging and the new world of social networking and dating as it relates to older people and other things that we just could not get into in the brief time we had. There's lots of good material for another series, another day. A few words of wisdom before we close. Here's Portland's city commissioner, Nick Fish, who's been a leader on issues of the elderly since the start of his political career. Sometimes it seems to me, and I've only been here a year, but it seems to me that this is a better place to retire to than it is to be retired in, in some respects. You're talking about the phenomenon, for example, of people who um, sell their home wherever they raise, you know, grew up and raised yeah. their family, then use that equity to come in and, and, and plant their flag here in the city. Right. Um, and, and we're seeing a, a bit of that. I'm not sure I can generalize other than to say that we want this to be an affordable community. That's one of the things that could discourage people from coming here, a housing market that's not serving the needs of middle and working class people and older adults on fixed incomes. Uh, we want to be a city that is healthy and invests in the quality of life that we all want. You know, If we do our part right, then people will continue to either come here or age in place, and it will be to our great advantage. Here's Dr. Mark Williams, geriatrician and author. Our society tends to look at older women in a very different way, and I think things are changing, and I celebrate those changes. But I think the stereotype of male aging with a few wrinkles and gray hair, the kind of uh, airline pilot kind of stereotype, 
um, the male airline pilot. Uh, that aging tends to be socially acceptable, whereas for women, we tend to have a shorter, I mean, women tend to race against the clock so that there's ways to improve figure, ways to change hair color, ways to uh, change skin wrinkles. And every day on TV, I see all these anti-aging products that people can try to try to turn back the clock rather than to celebrate the natural beauty that comes through men and women with the passage of time. And you can extend your life and fight ageism at the same time. This is Jeanette Liardi. So you're saying that ageism is the only prejudice that we're all susceptible to. Is that right? Yes, it is. It's ironic that not all of us are susceptible to racism or homophobia or sexism, but we're all getting older. So if we don't solve some of these ageist stereotypes, you know, knock them down, we're doing future generations a disservice because they're going to face it as well. They're going to face the marginalization and isolation. They're going to be denied opportunities for work, and uh, um, they're gonna, their productivity will be reduced. So we go back to the question that started this series. Is Portland a good place in which to get old? In most respects, yes, it is. There's a high level of expertise here for the elderly in people and organizations. From the medical perspective, there are important resources in Portland such as the OHSU Bioethics Unit and the Layton Institute. And the Northwest Portland Villages Movement is one outstanding entity. There are some other good organizations like Elders in Action, Metro Home Shares, and others. And public transportation is pretty good. Of course, you have to live near it, but the transit lines and the physical layout of the city make this a pretty good feature. Public recreation opportunities are pretty good. We need some new and expanded facilities, but the city and the county are capable of delivering them. They set their minds to it. There are some good price deals for seniors. You just have to look for them and ask for them. And this is a really creative place. We heard this again and again. Here's Howard Schneider, who was attending the creative writing class at the Hollywood Center. Another reason I like Portland is because of the sense of creativity. I find it every place. Uh, my wife is a musician and uh, a vocalist and a ukulele player. And she has so many opportunities. Same thing for writing. I've never, I've never met so many writers in my life in one place. Artists, potists, it's in the air. But there are some important negatives. This is an expensive housing market. If you already own a home here and it's paid off, that's a good thing. Or if you're moving to Portland and you have in hand the proceeds from sale of a house in Chicago or San Francisco, you may be in a good place. But if you have to deal with housing costs here and you're on fixed, limited income, life could be very difficult. The best general locations for older people in Portland are closer to the center of the city. The city's own index shows that close-in neighborhoods offer the best opportunities in recreation, transit, services, and access for older residents. And those are probably the same parts of the city that are rapidly getting more expensive. So Portland is a good place to grow old, but change is in the air, and there's no guarantee that the things that make it good now will continue to do so. 
The city's plan to make the city more dense may make sense to some, but there's a downside for the elderly. And it's clear that no one, not the city, the state, or the nation, is ready for the huge increase in elderly that is happening now and will continue. Care will become more expensive and support is getting thinner already. Medicaid, which has been the primary source of support for ordinary people to get assisted living, is declining as the need for it grows. Here's Dr. Karen Wilson again. And is Medicaid sufficient for the needs that we have now? And is it going to be able to cover the needs we're going to have? No, it's just a flat-out function of growing numbers of people who are in the, in the age category. And trust me, we've seen nothing as to what we're going to see in the next 10 years who have a need for supportive services. So you have more people, and more people equate more need for service, and you have a fixed ability to use Medicaid dollars because Medicaid dollars are federal dollars that have to be matched by state dollars. So it becomes quite difficult for states to keep expanding their Medicaid dollars. The city needs to start making investments in recreation facilities, for example, that will serve the increased elderly population. Here's Dr. Margaret Neal of Portland's Institute on Aging. My sense is that there's a lot of thought and a lot of um, discussion, uh, but there's kind of a vacuum in the city with respect to any vision for the elderly. Like, I don't get, uh, when I look at neighborhood plans or the neighborhood, the notes of neighborhood meetings, I don't see much reference to the prominence of elderly people or the f- how they're preserved in the dynamic of the neighborhood. Is there a, is there some sort of gap here between the thought and the reality? There is certainly a gap between the reality of our aging population and what we are doing as a society to take advantages of our aging population as well as to meet the growing challenges of our aging population. There really is a huge gap. I think it's because we are an age-denying society. We want to stay young. We focus on, on youth and none of us wants to uh, sort of admit that we have, you know, that we're going to get older and that we will have some frailties probably associated with, uh, with our aging process. So it's just not something that people like to think about. There are some who think that technology will give us all the help we need to stay healthy and live virtually forever. On this, we give the last word to Dr. Williams. You know, there are a number of important statistics about aging, and there's one that I think is critical, and that statistic is the death rate. The death rate in this country is one per person. It's remained remarkably constant for millennia. So I think that the fact that we die is what gives meaning to the precious time that we have, and ultimately it means that the nature of our journey becomes more important than its length. That's it for this series, Retired or Rewired. We'd like to thank the many experts on aging and the community leaders who contributed their knowledge and insight into the making of this series. Without their participation, there would be no program today. And thanks to all of you for listening. You've been listening to our series on Aging in Portland, Retired or Rewired? 
You can listen to any episode in the series or the entire series if you go to kboo.fm and look for the show under my name, Tom Flynn. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs>